Hello and welcome to Crown Roots Podcast. I'm your host Amber and I'm so excited to kick off 2021 the right way with all things black. So, what better way than to get a panel of people from different backgrounds and ethnicities to give their viewpoints on black topics. In this episode of Crown Roots Podcast, we will be going over the one drop rule, which can be controversial, but like I said, we're going to talk all things black in this podcast series. I'm going to go ahead and introduce my panel. First, I have Destiny. How are you, Destiny? I'm good. How are you? Great. Nice to have you. We also have Kim. Hello, Kim. Hi, y'all. And we have my brother-in-law, Daryl. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and get into it. Um, we're going to go over a little history of what the one drop rule is so that you all know. The one drop rule is a social and legal principle of racial classification that was historically prominent in the United States in the 20th century. It asserted that any person with even one ancestor of black ancestry was considered black. This concept became codified into the law of some states in the early 20th century. It was associated with the principle of invisible blackness that developed after the long history of racial interaction in the South, which had included the hardening of slavery and later segregation. To be considered black in the United States, not even half of one's ancestry must be African black. In the South, it became known as the one drop rule, meaning that a single drop of black blood makes a person black. This definition emerged from the American South to become the nation's definition generally accepted by white and black people. I want to ask you all, first of all, do you agree or disagree with um, still using the one drop rule? Ladies first, y'all go ahead and kick it up. Um, no, not at all. So you're saying you do not agree? I feel, I don't agree with it. Okay. I feel like it's very um, segregating. <laughs> it, it makes black people, I mean, it just, it's just a way that white people have made in the past to just segregate segregate us even more to where, okay, because they would use it to, okay, you're one drop black, you can't buy land. One drop black, you can't um, marry this woman. So, I mean, I just feel like it's just another way that America has made to segregate us within our own minds. Well, I mean, you know, just in researching in one drop rule, uh, you know, it really don't it don't serve a purpose. It never served a purpose, you know. Honestly, if you're if you're dealing with uh, trying to be uh, on, on the good side of things, I mean, it just served as a way, like uh, Destiny was saying, of just separating people out. Uh, I mean, at this point in history, it's just it just serves as a archaic reminder of what they did to uh, kind of kind of blanket blanket uh, a certain group into into a corner during the Jim Crow South. So, I mean, uh, this is one of those tools during the Jim Crow South. So, no, of course not. I don't agree with it at all. Okay, and Kim, I have to ask you, you know, um, are you completely Caucasian or do you have, what is your full ethnicity? Um, so, uh, I very obviously look white. However, I am... Um, mostly like Scottish, Irish, and Native American. Um, and the one drop rule 
well, we can just add that to the list of black history things that I didn't know until this year, um, just as a byproduct of growing up in an Oklahoma educational system, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. But what it reminds me a lot of um, are the blood quantum laws that are in effect on a federal level that help with the classification of Native American ancestry. Because the Native American tribes didn't actually use blood quantum laws like until the Dawes rolls were passed in the early 1900s. And so um, it's interesting to me, it's kind of like the one drop rule kind of makes African Americans like as an entire community, a tribe definitely, um, it's, it's, it's weird because Mm -hmm. it just seems to me to be like another way to keep people down um, without giving them the resources that they need to take care of themselves. And it's like, why is it okay to do that to like an entire group of people, but also celebrate it like in another group of people? Like, it's just very confusing and unnecessary. Um, With the one drop rule, do y'all feel that people maybe use it to their advantage, as in, like, you know, I have some black in me. That way, you know, maybe they can say nigga. Or maybe they can do certain things that black people can do that maybe other, you know, ethnicities aren't technically. Okay, straight up. we You're not allowed to do certain things. You can't do all things black people do. Do y'all think that people um kind of use that one drop to let them slide with some things? I know an unbelievable amount of people in rural Oklahoma, um, white people specifically, who say very off-putting things and then try to justify it. Like, well, it's okay because, like, my half-cousin has a biracial baby, and so, like, I'm woke. Okay. But it's, ugh, yeah. It's not a pers- purposeful game to... to to say I got one drop of anything in me other than I'm trying to be in, but on the surface, you know, your, your racial makeup is going to determine more for me than you, you, you better present some papers that say you got one drop of such and such before you go call me an N-word. If you're looking like you're not, you're not from where I'm from, then mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to end up being an issue uh, because I don't know if you got one drop. People use it to their advantage. They think, okay, well, I'm, my I got one drop of blood or they'll say like like um she was saying my kids have black so that means I'm dating a black guy or I'm mm-hmm. you know whatever so that means I can say whatever I want to say no ma'am <laughs> no sir no I don't even let real black people call me the n-word so so speaking I of mean, you know no people one drop roll speaking of people you know thinking that they can just say it like I've been you know out at the club, you know, and I've seen, you know, Caucasian women coming in with a group of black men. And I mean, they're just using it every rap song. And it's like, whoa, like not only clearly they gave y'all a pass, but there's other black people in here. So it's almost like, do you not consider the other that you could be offending the other black people in the vicinity? So, I mean, I personally have gotten into it with people over that Caucasian people who are out in public, you know, openly using that with no drop at all. I just, I think that, me personally, I think that people do use the excuse of one drop to um, be able to be with the culture when they're not. Who is black enough? Because, you know, you see on black Twitter, 
you see people who all the time have, you know, this person only has, say, this much black in them. She's not really black. She looks like a white woman. She doesn't even have any black features. What would y'all consider the percentage that would make you, quote unquote, not included into the drop? Is it 50% and up? Or do y'all consider like the 25%, which 25% is typically it can be like blonde hair, blue eyes. Like Daryl was saying, where you might not even know that they have any black in them. Okay, so first of all, my daughter is um, 75% black. Her dad is half white. So um, I feel like when people do that rule of how much percentage you have, how, how does that make you black? I feel like that comes with, yeah, because you can have 75% black in you or whatever, but you don't, black people who will deny their blackness as much as they possibly can, even though you can tell they're black or something like that. So I feel like it more has to be with how they see themselves. I mean, because all the world still is going to see them as black, but I mean, it's it's an inward thing, but it's also like, how other people see you too, I guess, in a, in a sense, because the world's still going to see you as black if mm-hmm. you have certain features, you know, your skin's darker, mm-hmm. your hair's curly, they're going to see you as black. Which but I, the black community might tell you, she ain't black. Which I will <laughs> say know? 75% is very black. And also in the black community, I think there there's a difference between color and DNA. Like, I know full blood black people who are just peller skin but they still you know they still have the features we don't disown those people um I think it comes in when it's like Halsey um she says you know she's black I think her father has black in him but if you would see her walking down the street would you say this is a black woman would you consider her to be like a one drop rule I wouldn't consider her black I mean, is she claiming it for street cred or is she celebrating her culture? There's the difference, I feel. So, uh, I mean, I can't claim her to be anything because I, I don't, I would, you know, if I met her in the street, I wouldn't know who she is. I mean, I think just backtrack a little bit on what Destiny was saying, kind of what your question is, is is this word black, it, it, it almost transcends just a, a race or a color or one drop, anything like that it's a it's a cultural it's a cultural deal so in the community i grew up in it's a very diverse community uh and overall you would say if you if you drove through the hell that's a black community but there's asian folks there's hispanic folks there's there's white folks that you know that i grew up with yeah we'll say the n-word because you wouldn't if you if you were talking to somebody on the phone you wouldn't know who who was talking because say man we all might talk like this where we from but you would you wouldn't know you wouldn't understand, but black almost kind of transcends the the surface level of things, and and you you wouldn't under you wouldn't just off of certain cultural norms, social norms that is used in the black community, they could get used amongst other races where you're from, if that makes any sense. So yeah, on the surface level, if I saw Halsey and and she was every other word was ninja this ninja that well ma'am you you know you better duck for cover because you might get a shoe thrown at you or something but uh 
you know, it, it black almost black. Just to me, that term black just kind of almost transcends uh, the surface level, and, and and it's a whole all encompassing cultural deal uh, when it comes to trying to determine what what or who can mm-hmm. be involved, what we say, what we do, what we look like, what we act, how we dress, all those different things. So, I, I mean, that's kind of where I am with it. Pete Wentz, he's also another um, example of somebody who has um, black in him. He as well, you know, you might not fully be able to tell. He's coming to topics, you know, on social media. Janae Iko, um, she's also another example of somebody who people get really um, triggered by, you know, because they feel that. I think she has like 15, she has less than 20% um, in her, but, you know, she does use the N-word and, you know, wears her braids and really tries to come off, you know, as back and I it seems to trigger people. So I think it is a good conversation. I think everybody's views are different on the percentage. Um, most black people think that it needs to be done. Um, that the one drop rule should not still be a thing because it doesn't like aid at all into black growth or anything. What comes into the conversation that people were talking about with the black rule as well was for, you know, biracial people, um, is it fair just to call them black? Like, this is a black man, like Barack Obama. People, they said he's a black president. Nobody said he's, you know, white. Or he's a black president with a white mom. It wasn't he's, you know, a white president with a black dad. Why do you think that is? I wonder if they would have said the same thing about Barack Obama had Michelle been white instead of black. Like, had he had a white family mm-hmm. instead of a black family, would they have said the same thing about him? Because he, you know, is is biracial, who, and he was raised, like, largely in his formative years by his white conservative, or his white grandparents from Kansas. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like, how much more white could he be to be electable in this country? Um, and I would just like say, like, I voted for him twice. I would have done it mm-hmm. again. Like, I absolutely loved Barack Obama. And it had nothing to do with the color of his skin. Yeah. So that that is a good point if he, you know, if he did have a, a white family. But at the same time, you have to look at Kamala. You know, she does have a white husband. And they say, you know, she's the first black. So I don't, I don't know if it's that one drop rule that's just, you know, stuck into our society. Do you think that maybe that one drop representation in the media, you think that matters? I think it does because, I mean, I guess not really the one drop world so much as it is like what they look like. Mm-hmm. Because like if you you see the person like you said and they look like you, then you're like, oh yeah, that's a black person. Mm-hmm. And it, like with Kamala, you know, even yeah. though she's mixed too, she's not full black. Yeah. Um, people are still like she's the first black first lady because we all know what she looks like. We all know where she comes from, how, you know, the sorority she's in, you know, things like that. So I feel like it, it kind of goes with as long as black people, white people are going to call you black no matter what, if you look like it and black people are going to call you black based on how you act and how you live your lives. Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. I cannot recommend that enough. It's so good. Noah is biracial with a black mother and a white father. 
And so he talks about how, like, growing up, there was never really, even within his own community and his own tribes of people, there was never really a place where he fit in because he had a white father. And so he was automatically always better, really classified as better than other people. And that was even, like, within the black communities in Johannesburg. And um, you, you grow up in the South and you see race things happen all the time um but reading born a crime really just opened up my eyes to how misrepresentation um in the media and and the way that the media spins stories sometimes especially um uh whenever it comes to reporting um on like people who are committing crimes um, or reporting on even George Floyd and everything. It's, it's never, it's never like human being was, you know, killed by police during a routine stop. It was always like black man killed by police, like during routine stop or black man killed by police, like in, while in commission of a crime, it's like, and media is everything. I grew up in rural Oklahoma in a sundowner town. Um, and I was an adult whenever I learned that it was actually a sundowner town and I was bemoaning to my family, like, oh, like we never, like we never, there were never any black people around in this town. And like, yeah, because they literally chased them out. I mean, and I was 11 years old the first time that ever I had, um, interaction with black kids my age, because I just simply didn't have that around growing up until we moved to a larger city. And so there were a lot of like harsh lessons, I think that I had to learn at a young age, um, whenever like most people probably would have been learning them earlier. Um, but I definitely learned that media, media representation matters because like whenever we moved here to Ada in 1996, the only experience that I had with, with the black community was what I saw like in the movies, Mm -hmm. what I saw in the, just because in the town that I lived in that simply didn't exist. Yes. So, um, what town was that? So we know. So the black people on this podcast know okay. what town this is. Bigler, Oklahoma. There's three stoplights. Just blink. It'll be fine. Okay. I want to ask Destiny and Daryl, were you aware of how fast your blackness can be diluted? Or was it something that you, you know, that you've known and have been aware of? And so maybe that's how, you, you know, you choose your partner or, or however. Well, I mean, I kind of, I kind of knew, I kind of knew that. I mean, uh, just growing up uh, with like a a grandmother who I'm pretty sure has has white grandparents. I mean, uh, white parents that it, either way you go, you know, if you if you make it more black or you make it more white, you can go away mm-hmm. real quick in, in just a couple of generations. So I kind of was aware of it. And that can be, you know, reversed also um, to where a bloodline can go all the way black. Like it goes both ways. Uh, Destiny, how about you? I was aware of it. And I think for me, it made me be like, you know, this is how people dilute us, dilute mm-hmm. our, our black heritage is so easily, so quickly. And they don't even, I feel like other people just don't realize it. Kim, did you realize until you saw that um, graphic? Like, or did you kind of like not really ever think about about you know like your culture maybe like being ever diluted or um 
No, actually, I, I understand it. Com- I understand like the graphic completely. Um, because, um, like I said, I'm Native American. I was com- raised completely outside of that culture. I was an adult whenever, I, I mean, I always, I was raised like always knowing that I was Choctaw. Mm-hmm. But it like I didn't understand like what my fraction meant like like what does this mean like I'm I'm five one hundred twenty eighth Choctaw okay that's like four percent yeah you know but it's like my great grandfather like literally just three generations back was the one that was on the Dawes rolls and everything and so it's and it's uh, like I don't know anything hardly at all about my culture except what mm-hmm. I've learned as an adult. And stuff, and so I think it's more than just the dilution of your skin tone. Mm-hmm. It's the dilution of like your your sense of self. Yep. So it's a dilution of like your your cultural identity. Like like I never had a chance to be raised and to know that side of my culture, and everything. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I can make Irish pancakes like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. However, like I, you know, I can't tell you how to say more than just a few simple words in the Choctaw language, and that's sad and um it's just it's it's just the continual i i tend to view it as the continual um cooking of our melting pot kind of um i because i just am one of those people that believes that we should just celebrate who we are like no matter what your culture is you, you should celebrate that but i also recognize that that's a very like privileged position to have mm-hmm. so well thank you for your input Thank you all for listening to episode number one of the Crown Roots of Black podcast. I hope to see you all tune into episode number two, cultural appropriation. Thank you all.